Is cash really king? Tune in to find out. In today's episode, we explore um, the merits, the pros and cons of cash. In the last episode, we looked at uh, what is an emergency live broadcast where we looked at the uh, British pound, which was the proposal that's been put forward by the central bank uh, to launch the UK central bank digital currency. So we took time in the last episode to unravel the consultation and uh, shared some resources to help uh, submit a response to that consultation and over 50,000 responses were shared. We can't take all the credit for that, but we played our part. Um, and it's clear that there's a strong message that people want to preserve cash and resist central bank digital currencies. And it's very clear that there is more thinking to be undertaken around what a central bank digital currency should or could look like in the future. But in this episode, we're going to talk about cash. You know, the message was loud and clear. GB News have recently launched their um, Save Cash campaign. So we're going to look at cash as, a, as an asset and explore in the context of things like emerging assets like Bitcoin and digital assets and, and see what role cash plays, uh, what it can play and what these emerging assets can do alongside cash. So, Sam, an important subject that we're going to tackle today. Absolutely, Dan. And it's always much more nuanced than just the very simple binaries that we often see. You know, the kind of very much I'm pro this, I'm anti that. <laughs> and, and we always like to look at the pros and cons of everything because they all got different qualities. They've got different use cases. And it's just not that simple. And I always say, you know, in a non-negative way, there is no panacea answer. But I think it's important to weigh them up and look at as many perspectives and angles so you get a real holistic picture because we just see so many oversimplified kind of um, viewpoints that, and again, some of it's just because people aren't aware of some of the nuances or the history of certain assets or how they're controlled or what qualities they have. So by shining a light on them, as always, we want to give a bigger picture and a bigger kind of overview of the, of the pros and cons of each kind of asset and, 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 and the hows and whys of them. Definitely. I think this episode will make people think differently about cash. One of the biggest observations I get from the content that we've done, particularly on crypto, Sam, whether we're talking about Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, altcoins, blockchain, is that uh, a fear that comes up that cash will be lost in the presence of these assets. And I think that's a valid fear. You know, we are seeing an increasing digitized world. We're seeing the emergence of central bank digital currencies. And if you haven't seen our episode on that yet, where we actually show you the global map showing how far advanced these things are, it's quite clear that this is something that's progressing fast. Uh, so quite rightly, there is concerns about losing cash, and uh, and we'll, we'll dive into some of those concerns. But I don't think they are um, they are necessarily mutually exclusive. No. I don't I don't think we need to think about cash as a as a threat to all uh, all these emerging assets as a threat to cash. I think they can be very much complementary. So we'll unravel that as well today. So yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, Dan. That often you get this very simplified well. I don't like that. I, we mustn't get involved in that because I want this. And again, I was talking about diversifying and having more tools and understanding the different tools. So really, and we'll get more into it, you know, something like Bitcoin wasn't wasn't created to go against cash. It's responding to the fiat system, not to cash, which is part of the fiat system. And we'll get into that, which is, you know, where does it stand within the fiat system? But understand it is in that fiat system. So Bitcoin was not developed to you know replace it. Or, or, you know, that wasn't the issue. It's the issue of the fear system as a whole. So I think that's that distinction is really important. Yeah, the two big um, things that come up for me when I see the kind of objections to um, or, or where, where people are saying that seeing these digital assets as a threat to cash is the potential erosion of the privacy that cash offers. Uh, but not just the privacy, of course, you know, when you're trading in purely cash, exchanging cash in terms you know, it's completely anonymous at the point of holding it, at least. It may not be at the point of withdrawal, but at the point of holding it, it's uh, anonymous and private. Um, and the other aspect is, uh, you know, the, the worrying uh, erosion of a kind of, or, or, or the lack of inclusion, perhaps, of emerging digital assets where, you know, there is a, a, a gap in whether people have the right technology or... Um, Sorry, my phone is ringing. There. We're live. We're live. That. We're live. We're live. <laughs> it's live TV. We'll edit that out. Then we won't. <laughs> um, you know, some people don't have access to the web or devices, and you know, there's a kind of digital literacy component, um, which clearly is not needed for picking up a piece of paper or a coin and handing it over at a shop. So I think that there are other key factors, but more more often than not, those are the two things I see come up as the the fears around losing cash, 
but then the subsequent fears of adopting something like a central bank digital currency that we've covered extensively on the show and the surveillance and the control and all those aspects. So on one hand, you've got the fears of loss of cash on one side, and then you've got the fears of what would follow it on the other. Um, and it's, 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 it's going to be interesting to kind of dance between those two ideas as we go through this conversation. Totally, Dan. It brings up to me, we've often had this question of this, you know, agendas aside for one moment, I always trying to say that because, you know, <laughs> I can't put them aside. They're all there. But we often would just forget, you know, look at just the march of technology how that fits in. You know, we talked about, you know, a lot of things being eroded by this, potentially by this digitization and what where they want to go with it. But but the technology itself, you know, doesn't have to be used in those ways and could be neutral. It's the old idea of, you know, I want to hold back any digital progress, but did you want to hold back the internet? You know, and did you, and again, that same inclusion thing aspect, Dan, you know, how much did the internet, you know, again, it's a huge another fossil debate. Did it improve our lives? Did it, what did it do for us? But again, you know, old people did have to learn new skills and, you know, move on to those ways. And there were pros and cons to it. So I think it's, I think it's a much bigger topic than just getting, you know, particularly when it comes to digital stuff, you know, it's evil or it's not. I always try and say this, it can be used in a way to increase efficiencies and, and in a decentralized manner, give us more options, or it can be used for the surveillance and, and the greater centralization. So it has those two qualities to it. And I think it's oversimplifying just to say, it's digital. It's a digital shift. Anything's a digital shift. Bitcoin's a digital shift. Therefore, it is bad, you know. And I think it is, you know, like these things. What what is being created out of these technological shifts, and where are they on the good and bad spectrum themselves, rather than the shift itself? Yeah, and I I think there's always a technological adoption curve, and it's interesting, you know, when people talk. I remember I was actually working in financial services at the early proliferation of digital banking and or online banking. And yeah, you know, people were saying the same things then about online banking. But what was interesting to observe actually is in many cases, it was the older generations that were adopting it um, more frequently than some of the younger people at the time. Now that role, that, that very quickly changed. It became, you know, the, the, the most technological advancements often start with the younger generations and kind of progress through the eras as, as a general rule. Um, but, um, th th that's certainly a component and the other the other aspect then when you look at digital technologies and you look at um, how the world of finance has changed and how people pay for things it clearly has an impact on things like jobs as well um, you know again looking back in my time in financial services and banking you know where people used to go visit the cash tellers for instance or the cashiers then over time would transition to the cash points and then depositing things like cash and checks can now be done in an automated fashion. In fact, you can now scan, you know, checks are very much, you know, declining in circulation, but you can scan it on your apps now. And there's different ways for people to transact that weren't previously available, all enabled by technology, of course. And for many people that makes their life more convenient. And that's always the driver of things like this mm -hmm. is uh, simplicity and convenience. Although again, we could always argue what that simplicity and convenience is traded off against that ends up making our life more complex anyway. Um, but that's a bigger discussion. So there is that aspect as well, the knock-on impact, impact of, of digital technology. But that's, that's a much wider conversation, but certainly something that does come up when people are talking about the world of finance because that changing world of finance and automation, digitization does also uh, impact on jobs. So there's, there's a number of factors here. But the thing I'm interested to explore sat next, Sam, is the fact when I think about cash as an asset, in many ways, despite its privacy features and its, you know, it's, it's anonymous nature, it's also the most centralized asset that we can possibly own, mm. meaning that it's issued by the central government uh, banks, overseen through policy by the central governments, and uh, it's, it's pretty much inflationary in nature, mm. meaning that the value of the asset that you hold can actually be largely... Um, shifted over time by factors largely out of your control as we're seeing right now you know totally. people's purchasing power massively dropping so the value of the asset again you know not not that i'm saying that the value of any other assets under your control stocks and shares gold silver or anything like that but the stability of the asset isn't isn't baked in although it is you know relatively stable over time well you can look at the resilience dan you don't have to say yes. that, that you know the resilience of an asset versus you know the history of and and this is you know, something you can research you haven't done before, look at the history of fiat currencies, how they rise and fall, that it's kind of baked into the fact that they have to fail in the end. And I think that's really important to understand that, you know, you it is the most centralized, the controlled asset, the supply is completely controlled out of your hands. 
and therefore you know you can just see through history and i always go back to down here the pivotal point was how you know the cash we hold now is not the cash we would have held at a certain point in the history it's a completely different beast and so compare you know some people don't realize that different that's really important those are two completely different things because one used to be backed you know as a proper promissory note backed by a tangible asset so it used to be literally you know, i promised to pay the bearer and obviously with the gold standard in in the states um pre-71 72 and also you know in uk history you're looking about we talk about sterling pound sterling well that's a pound of sterling sterling silver so at that point it is a really useful form of just transacting a piece of paper that have the assets you know the tangible assets behind them so you really just pro- passing over promissory notes but we're in a situation now of pure fiat currency where it's backed by absolutely nothing. And I think this is what's important, Dan, that the real issue about moving away you know, to other solutions is not about moving away from cash. It's about moving away from fiat currency. So whenever people look at alternatives, it's not because they're anti-cash. You know, like we discussed, I'm pro that privacy and that, that mode of transaction. It's fabulous. But it's from a store of value point of view. So from pure transactional purposes, absolutely, it gives you all those options. But as a store of value, something to hold your wealth in, you only have to look in history, you know, and this, this goes across all fiat currencies, you know, that you're losing value at an incredible rate. So there's an amazing chart from, you know, 71 onwards and where you look at it compared to gold. And I haven't got the exact figures, but it literally goes from, you know, in by 1971, you know, you might get, and I'm going to make up the figures I've got the hand here, but, you know, you might get 100 ounces, you know, of gold for £10,000, you know, by by the year 2000, that's down to 10 ounces. And by, you know, year today, we're down to one ounce. So without, that's not the figures, guys. But I should give that example of how much we've lost. So 99% loss in purchasing power against an asset like gold. So that, you know, if you sat in gold from that point on, when it, when, and a lot of people started to do that when they realized that the currency was no longer tied to the physical metals, they retained some value where everybody else was losing extreme, you know, extreme amounts of value over time. So their wealth being eroded. You know, and Dan, I always talk about the the Cantillon effect when I, you know, in these fiat currencies, whereby you know the powers that be, like you said, they're issued by central banks. You know, got all their chums in the banking industry, the top, the, you know, the top players. They are printing money out of thin air, okay, coming into the system. They know it's not worth anything. They are buying often buying tangible assets. We see that they're buying up commodities, land, you know, real things that have real value before the inflation has kicked in because what they've done is increase the money supply therefore you increase the supply therefore the actual value goes down you know that's inflation in a a nutshell by the time that increased money supply is filtered down to the man on the street you have lost you know he has lost value so you can see how this rigged game and you can see that in the charts from 71 onwards the wealth inequality gap just goes crazy from there on down because we've got this system where actually the top people are printing it before that you know, kind of inflationary effect has kicked in, they're buying real assets, you know, almost essentially for free. By the time that new money's come to the system, we're actually suffering inflation and losing value. So again, it's a rigged game at both ends of the spectrum. So it's important to understand those factors about fiat currency that, you know, looking at going, you may be looking to diversify away from just holding cash is not an anti-cash stance. What it is, is an (laughs) anti-fiat currency model stance. And that's, you know, really the core of Bitcoin. Like I said earlier, Bitcoin is not going up against cash, saying cash is a problem. You should go digital. What it's saying is, you know, we create a monetary system that is at the antithesis of this of this fiat currency system, which has no cap on the supply, is inflated to enormous levels. And, you know, all these currencies end up failing in the end, which is why you get currency resets in history. You don't you don't have to go far in back in history. Look at what happens in South America, a lot of those countries. But this happens to all fiat currencies. And the amazing thing about, you know, Bitcoin's creation was there was a new currency model that had a hard coded, hard fixed supply that worked within this digital age that we already live in. So it's using the tools of the digital age to create a current system that that was the antithesis of fiat currency. So it wasn't an anti-cash movement. So I always have that question when, like you said, Dan, we sometimes get that. It's about Bitcoin. No, keep cash. (laughs) You know, and, and that's not to say, you know, I don't advocate absolutely diverse across all. They all have their tools, have some cash. But that's not what the Bitcoin argument or the bit case of Bitcoin is about. And I think that's really important to understand. Yeah, it's almost like a knee-jerk reaction. I see it in the comments frequently. We can be talking about crypto or Bitcoin or something like that. And it's almost like then that is the counter-argument. Just, yeah. just a blank statement. We need to preserve cash, which mm. is something we, we don't disagree with. But, yeah. it's, but, but what we do 
have a challenge with is is whether that shuts down the conversation about alternatives. Because... And and Dan, exactly that. And also, you know, I want people to aware like that. That's the point of awareness. If you sat with your wealth only in cash, what risks do you have there? Because you know, absolutely understand it that the risk with digitization of of an asset like Bitcoin is people often bring up that you know point of what if the internet goes down? What the absolutely you are reliant on some some other factors. But I think it's important to realize also with cash, you are also reliant on some other factors. And I think sometimes that's not brought into the discussion enough, which is this fact of, you know, you are you can be losing value. It's nature's legal tender is centrally decided upon. Um, so you're so that I think it's really important to understand those issues of just sitting in cash or, or looking at that as that is the kind of that is the panacea understanding the pros and cons of all these ones, you know, and get more into some of the other pros and, 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 you know, of Bitcoin, because sometimes I think people think it's just a digital, you know, um, cash replacement. And I don't like digital, therefore I want to keep cash. But the reason Bitcoin is valued today at $30,000 of Bitcoin and, and has had huge growth is not just because it's electronic money, because of the qualities that it has that maybe people who are new to this area don't really understand. And, and, you know, that's very understandable because the info and the base info is hard to get to and you need to do some work to understand it. It's much more than just an e-cash, a digital cash. The decentralized aspect, the permissions aspect, which we can touch more on, those aspects are why it has so much value. If it literally was just an e-cash, it wouldn't be valued what it is. People who understand its qualities, that's why it has such a value on the market and will potentially increase in value over time. So, you know, coupled with also its the way it's been designed down in terms of its limited supply, you know, which is why often it's equated to, you know, a digital version of a gold because of the finite aspect of it. And actually it's even more finite than gold because you could potentially, you know, find a new seam of gold somewhere, mine it, whereas Bitcoin is hard coded, completely limited. So I think it's important to look at all the nuanced pros and cons of the, of these different asset classes, you know, whether it's cash or whether it's um, any types of digital assets like Bitcoin and and understand the potential problems with with cash, particularly in the era we're in, because it because it's a different beast from the cash you may have held, you know, especially in, in as the world currency pre seventy one seventy two, on the gold standard, that was a different cash. And I'm almost you know something came to me, Dan. Is it we talk about is cash really king? Well, cash may be king with of the different types of fiat currency, but does that make it king of the asset classes? That's a different thing, and that's where we need to look at you know, a means of transacting and versus um, or a store of wealth and where you find the balance between those two and, and you know, how how that fits into how you want to move forward yourself. I think, Sam, I think it's a really important distinction that you've made there around the ability, our ability to transact with one another and our ability to store and grow wealth yeah. because that's, they are interlinked, but, they're, but they are also separate. And actually what we've talked about within our Navigate the Financial Reset program is that, diversification of yeah. assets you know that's a sensible approach to take in any economy but particularly under the kind of turbulent circumstances we find ourselves within now in the midst of a financial reset and mm. you know we've talked a lot about what the financial reset is when it started and when it, when it landed and that the idea that there is a fixed start point and end point and all that sort of stuff we touched upon but well we can say for certain that we're, we're in as we talked about in a lot of our cycles you know we're in really changing times yeah you know, this is a confluence of many cycles coming together the, the the current debt-based fear system has to implode and be reset you know so it's not something like we said that people sometimes say this could go on it's just that they're getting involved to do a certain reset the system has to be reset obviously the powers that be want to reset it in their way and keep going keep their game going under a new guise but it's important to understand that that it's not that the system that exists today and those fit currencies is sustainable itself i think that's another issue with the just thinking about cash as a fiat currency that's why like, that there are huge problems with that and it is coming to its end in terms of its fiat currency life so i think that's important to be aware so we are in completely as we always call we call this uncharted territory because that's where we are dan and you know from nobody here listening has lived through a you know financial reset of this type and i think that's where it's important to have different options and understand the qualities and and the, the possibilities they can give you and the protection they can give you you know and, and i We'll look at more of Bitcoin's qualities in a moment, I'm sure. Yeah. Now, you mentioned as well the um, you know, the, the risks and fears around um, digital currencies, the fact that 
it requires online access. You know, in fact, MK, oh, nice, nice touch on the name there, um, uh, <laughs> has raised um, that, that going digital has its problems too. Lights out. What do you do then? I think again, that's a very common objection. And yep. thank you, but thank you for sharing that. Um, 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 and I, I would like to add to that because the, the reality is, again, there was a time where we used paper ledgers and that we didn't. Have, you know, we weren't so connected via the web, you know, transactional transactions happen on a very local level. Um, yeah, people kept paper, paper ledgers. And, but now we basically operate on a digital ledger, whether that's in the blockchain, the new technology or, or a traditional digital ledger. And the reality is now, if you think about it, if you want to get cash out, if you actually want to handle cash, you go to a, an ATM, a, a cash machine, which relies upon the internet. And I can tell you firsthand that they do so <laughs> and power. Uh, and if, if that goes down, then the ATMs go down anyway. And then you could say, well, I can go into the bank. Well, you can, but again, if the internet is gone, then the, the cashiers uh, at the desk who would be issuing you with the cash won't be able to access their systems to verify your balance, to verify you hold the funds, to, to verify your identity, which is obviously a, a component of the, uh, the, the um, traditional banking system. So you wouldn't be able to take any cash out anyway if, you, uh, um, if we had a, a kind of collapse of the internet. And the same is true if you were shopping, okay, you know, we're resilient people. I'm sure if we had a major collapse in the internet or power, we wouldn't, well, you'd hope that we wouldn't allow after the last few years, who knows? You'd hope we wouldn't allow each other to starve. But the same, the same token, again, spending in, in, in most shops, most people now use EPOS systems, that's uh, electronic point of sale, which means most transactions are also gone through a digital connected till um, and you watch what happens. If you've ever been to a store where they've had a power outage or their own internet goes down, most stores won't take payment. You know, they, even though they could, they could take a paper record, most will, will not transact. So even if, you, if, even if you have already got the cash out and you're trying to transact, you're trying to transact in the store, most stores will be connected. And that's not all stores. Of course, you can still go to market traders if you're lucky in your local area. Uh, and there's always workarounds. Um, but I, I would say the problems that would be faced if the internet went down would be equivalent between cash and uh, digital. Not the same, because, uh, of course, you know, some people hold uh, cash at home. Again, if you are someone who holds cash at home, we've shared some horror stories. I've shared some horror stories on this show about where people have had theft or house fires or kept notes for so long that they're no longer legal tender. Uh, and that's that's one sure way to lose the store of value. Um, so there's all kinds of these complexities and nuances that come along with that. And plus, when we look at the kind of catastrophic level um, uh, cyber attack or, 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 or internet outage, um, it's important to actually contrast that with the probabilities of that happening, um, but also to look at the, look at it holistically, as we've started to touch upon in terms of its implication on cash as well. And in fact, if we are facing a catastrophic event that would cause the internet to go down, we're probably more worried about the catastrophic event than whether we're, we can. We're go. in. A, I've always said it down. We're in a complete different ball game, and and you know it wouldn't be as simple as well. And I think, and again, I'm not suggesting the the person who asked that question believes this. You know, believes that scenario. But it's important to point out it wouldn't be well. We've got the same economy playing out. Somebody's got cash. Somebody's locked out of their crypto. We're in a completely paradigm shift of everything, aren't we, yeah. at that point? So absolutely, you could have hoarded some cash. That might be of use. But how that would play out over a time, over a few weeks, we're in a complete paradigm shift. I mean, so the whole economy would, you know, everything you're used to doing would change, you know, overnight. So again, I always say this, if that's your real strong intuition, if that's the way you believe things are going, then you absolutely should prepare, you know, for that. But again, that's where diversification comes in is you're across all these different aspects. And, you know, I think absolutely if you were, con you know, I'm not saying you're convinced, but you get a really strong feeling that we face an apocalyptic future with no, you know, then you wouldn't want to be overly leveraged in, in the digital side of things. You'd want to be more in physical tangible, but you have to come to your own thesis. And I think it is important then to, you know, be realistic of, of, you know, what your, what that would actually entail. It wouldn't be, well, I'm, we've got a public event and I'm fine now commerce will continue for me because i've got some cash you know it will be a whole different ballgame like i said i think the concerns and priorities would be completely different and a whole economy would instantly be different yeah um so all those what ifs you know always exist and they're important and i take them all into account but i think people can get paralyzed by them as well i think yeah. that can be an issue because there is no certainty to anything and yet 
if that stops you making productive action, diversifying, then that can be not helpful in itself because you might be having a mindset that actually of something that never happens. And as I always said, you stay present in life. If that did happen, well, you'd react at that time. And, you know, I think, and that's where relying on any of these different assets as your security isn't a holistic viewpoint. They are tools and bonuses and wealth, but actually in that scenario, you're, we're back to, you know, your own wits and, 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 people and, and contacts and human behavior so i think that's yeah i think it's important to give an overview of that very idea of well the internet goes down because yeah. where we are it's, it's reality is that is it we it's almost like the technology question is a trick one because we come so far a lot of the answers to people not wanting in the control i understand it is we go back fully to pre all that pre all yeah. the internet which doesn't allow any surveillance or whatever that in itself is a huge paradigm shift isn't it yeah Go full medieval. Go. Yeah, yeah. And again, yeah. We, we've always said that it's not the it's not that I'm pro digital or or anti that or I'm just trying to find my way. I think we're all trying to navigate within the space and and work with what we've got and where we are, and and that could change. And I think that's the point. You're not whatever path you take, you're not stuck on it because we don't know. And I think people who are agile and able to pivot, and I think by having more options and understanding more things, you're you're already set up to be more successful. However, things play out. Yeah, and I think the kind of off-grid type living is available. You know, it's it's available to us if we want to pursue that type of more more natural living. Uh, I think that's always the key is to remember what options are available to you, and that's 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 again a, a key of being empower, empowered. Um, now, the other part about the question about online, and and here, well, here's the tr- here's the interesting thing. So there have been governments that have shut down internet. We've seen it before. It happened during the pandemic. One of the one of the one of the uh, dictators actually did shut the internet down for several days we've also seen cyber attacks and you know the the possibility of a grand cyber attack is much greater than ever before the tools you know the tools that liberate us in terms of the technologies that make us able to to do things like this also enable uh, potential um um uh, malfeasance and, and misuse um but again when we think about the current system, the current traditional financial system, most will use obviously very secure servers and you know huge server beds to actually facilitate. And you think about the kind of scale of servers that's required to run a mainstream banking system is enormous and the power behind it. But again, it's all hyper-connected, so it's still a problem. Now, the benefit of blockchain-based technology is it's a distributed ledger, yeah. meaning, meaning that you know I, my computer is not, but my computer could be underwriting it could be mining the transactions and you know there's a piece of the puzzle effectively held on my device in simplest terms but that that is then distributed across thousands and thousands of if not millions of devices and it's a totally distributed network so if the if the internet goes down technically the moment it boots back up it's 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 yeah. all still there it's yeah. still the immutable, the immutable factor Im- is important to understand yeah it's immutable whereas actually the same is not necessarily true it can be true but it's not necessarily true of traditional servers mm. so there's, there's when it comes to internet going down the blockchain technology again as it's as a as a as a development offers greater long-term security against totally and dan it's good it's, i'm glad you made that point because actually it offers that on both um, ends of the spectrum so it offers that in cbdc's you know because that's that and again i've i've mooted that that's a possible way in i think we discussed it in the last um episode where i brought up that article suggesting about russian hackers looking to take down the financial system of the west you know that kind of narrative coming through potential cyber attacks the distributed ledger technology does make a more secure system and a more secure ledger so people don't use their funds in in a cbdc world that they might want to bring in but equally in a Bitcoin sense, which is a decentralized manner, because exactly your point. If even if you went after, you know, able to get every person who's who's validating the Bitcoin network on their computer across the world, if there's one person left, then the network still functions. Okay. And it's that clever that it will adjust its algorithm to its mining time so that one person can run the network. So it's 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 an incredible piece of technology, but you're absolutely right that advance does give better security of records and ledgers. And again, we've seen that, you know, on, on all sides of the fence. So the underlying tech has that, has that baked into it, which is, you know, a, an advance, no question, because it's about, and again, I always say it's leaving agendas aside, that's on a pure tech level, it's negating points of failure within a system. 
rather than attacking one server and that taking down the whole network, it doesn't matter because that is distributed across the network. And we always want to, you know, people who don't understand the sort of distributed nature of things, that's why we talk about Odyssey as a platform being on the blockchain, whereas YouTube is a, you know, a centralized system. You know, everything's on YouTube's server, so they, they, they control it. If they delete something from their server, you know, one of your videos, they often do, Dan, because you get, you know, shadow banned. Yep. Therefore, they're in control of taking out. Once you've got a distributed system, everybody's hosting it. So it doesn't matter that one person takes it down. The rest are already hosting it. It stays up. So that distributed ledger technology has great advances. And again, this is at, at all ends of the spectrum. Yeah, definitely. So these are important variables to consider. And I think, again, bringing it back to what I think is at the root of the concern of the of the fear of losing cash is is the privacy, privacy aspect, yeah. meaning that you, in trading or transacting in cash, you effectively, in many ways, eliminate the possibility of the government surveilling your activities. Now, clearly, if you're in a black market illicit activity, that's something that's deeply favorable to you. But actually, those people in black markets have also discovered that there's actually even greater potential within the kind of uh, digital asset space or equal potential. Um, but for the average person who is you know, ethically and morally. Well, again, there's that's uh, that, there's, yeah. I, I have to be careful and put a value judgment in here because what's deemed no. black market? Who, well, who who decides what's illicit activity? Well, exactly. It's you been know. the last three years down with that, that <laughs> yes, question. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. That's a yeah. Yeah, breathing, yeah. breathing became an illicit activity. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You're right. So yeah, like, it's not even it's not even open, open that can of worms. But but I think you get my point is that most people who want privacy aren't doing it because they're do, they've got something to hide. It's actually that they just want to have the government outside their front door and not in it. A lot of people over the course of the COVID chapter said that the government was so intrusive, it literally felt like they had the government yeah. in their, in their yeah. home. And when, pe- when the government can start to see into what you're spending your money on, how you're spending your money on, uh, uh, how you're spending your money, then that is a very worrying future. And, and, and it's no surprise under the current kind of culture that we're facing that people have real, including myself, real concerns about the government surveillance because day by day we're seeing an increasing in digital surveillance in every single way um so that's clearly a real fear when it comes to things like central bank digital currencies even if as we saw in the in the digital pound consultation the the initial proposal does not um uh put that forward as a part of the proposal we know it's always something that is possible as as is the programmable nature which you know, take it to its ultimate draconian outcome is the kind of social credit system where, you know, access denied, you haven't had your jab or, you know, you, 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 you said this word or, you know, you, you, you said something that's deemed as hate speech and all of a sudden you can't get on the bus or the train or get, get paid or, you know, your welfare is cancelled. So all of a sudden, you know, the, the, CB, the CBDC offers that dystopian reality which is a real fear under the current climate so therefore cash when you look at it in its purest form thinking well you can't impose conditions on the use of the cash but again can you is that true because again look at look look how society was divided during covid it it felt like society was split between the jabbed and unjabbed and it almost felt like unless you're willing yeah with the, the prospect of things like vaccine passports it was literally like the government was able to intervene. And in many cases, the government just offered guidance and the businesses complied. Yeah. So the, the, it wasn't even enforced. It wasn't even legally enforceable. No, we talked about that, using the businesses to, to be the kind of boots on the ground, you know, and almost distancing from, from themselves. Like I said, you know, the traveling example, it was, you know, getting the airlines to do the dirty work. It wasn't the border forces. I found that really interesting. It was border forces didn't care about paperwork. It was the airlines who had their extra staff you know, a grid in you. So again, yeah, the use of the business. So that type of social credit system can exist with or without a CBDC. That's my point. Um, uh, it's under the right conditions that we, what we saw in the last few years and how that was manipulated and created. So again, we have to be optimistic that we are moving away from that type of tight control, but we know now it's within the tool set and we have to be vigilant. So when we look at cash, cash itself, of course, unlike a digital asset, you can't program the use case into a, a, a into the cash note or coin itself as uh, when it comes to transacting but you can culturally and socially uh, and coercively uh, influence traders to take certain policies and serve certain people and not not others we've seen that so it, it's not necessarily the mode of transaction or the means of transaction itself 
that is necessarily the problem when it comes to that element of control. Um, but but we know that you know that in in, in a in a market where there is free where there's a where there is a do we have a free market as a subject subject for another conversation um, for another day? But you know we can still I, I can say Sam you know if the government isn't allowing me to trade with this these shops I can get, I can come to you and say can I pay you in cash and you know, you have the sovereign right to make that decision and whether you abide by any laws or government. It, 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 regulations or guidance is down to the individual so at least with cash we can still choose to trade amongst each other and you know during this time we've seen a lot of people talking about localization which i think is a great side effect of this actually restoring local communities creating you know again have to be careful because that's in the that's in the that's in the you know the 15 minute city agenda really you know it's like careful what you wish for again that there is there is ways of achieving things there is there is there is reasonable intent but questionable means um, but I do think local trade is, is a good thing. Um, but when we're talking about things like, you know, again, reverting almost to barter and exchange, it then becomes incredibly complex mm. because, you know, the, the fact that we use currency, the fact that we use um, a currency to, to, to uh, kind of indicate the value of something, it means that we don't have to weigh up, well, you know, if I want to trade this cup, uh, you know, how much is this worth? If, you know, we have a central means of, transaction that means we don't have to work all those things out what possessions do i have that i can trade with you or what skills do i have that i can trade with you and again i, I don't see any problem with those things i think they're good things to, to be able to do but but at scale and cross borders well that's the point it takes us back to and again not being pro against it a completely local economy you know on a very small scale we, and, and i think it's interesting to look at what you know you talked about cash giving you those options for accepting it that's what bitcoin's doing in the digital world yes so i'd say it's accepting that we we have a digital world and that we are doing cross border we are you know in a good sense you know um you know having economies with each other across across you know vast distances where cash isn't applicable so that's important to remember so what bitcoin does is give you that way of not having a state intermediary or a third party it's the it's the only electronic you know it's not the only one now but I'll just talk about it when it's when it when it came to integration it's the only version where there wasn't a third party involved and it's permissionless so exactly what you said Dan you've got a sovereign choice to take except cash anybody in the world has got a sovereign choice to accept Bitcoin and it's permissionless so there is no applying for a Bitcoin account there is no going through that process anybody in the world again with an internet connection within a couple of minutes can have a Bitcoin address and receive Bitcoin. That's the permissionless nature of it. And I think that's what's interesting because especially when you talk about cross-border payments, this is a way of transacting across the world. And we, you know, we've talked about certain, you know, people having podcasts out who are doing work in the States that have been debanked from every platform, whether it's their legacy bank, whether it's all the internet banks or the payment providers like Stripe or PayPal, completely locked out of those. How do they continue functioning? Using Bitcoin or accepting, you know, crypto payments because that is not going through a third party who censors payments to certain people. And I always give that example. It's important to understand that, you know, you can make a payment. There's nobody in between us. It's yes, it's it's gone into the into the pool to be mined, but it's not based on our two identities, who we are, where we live or anything. It's just literally a payment. And that's where, you know, a lot of people storing wealth, but equally know they can move money across borders, no questions asked, and no, you know, prohibitive paperwork or extreme fees. You try and move a million pounds between two different countries, two different bank accounts, fully legit million pounds. That's, you know, fully, you know, compliant with all the anti-money laundering rules, all paid up. That's still a hell of a job. And you've got a lot of people involved that in that, in that chain, a lot of time delays and a lot of, you know, quite extortionate charges that can happen in Bitcoin in five to 10 minutes. And there's no third party involved. So that borderless permissionless nature down is really, interesting, especially in the world today, talking about moving and, being agile it doesn't matter where you are once you've got your bit wallet it, you're not in a country you're everywhere so this is again is looking at the qualities of these assets over and aboard you know even cash or gold you know when i last traveled down you look at the, all the signs of the airport how you know if you've got this amount of cash you need to declare it if you're holding gold you need to declare it potentially going to get harder and harder to move these assets across borders with a digital asset like bitcoin you've got nothing your bitcoin is everywhere and nowhere so again, that's another aspect to it. That I think people don't understand is that the permissionless aspect 
being able to be in the, in the system without going through a third party, without having to be validated, and then be able to trade peer-to-peer without any intervention, you know, and, and that was a great boon for, you know, a Russian person, I, you know, contact of a contact in Russia, when it all kicked off there, the Swiss system down, locked out of legacy bank system, not at all locked out of using Bitcoin. So I think that's an important aspect that it gives you that extra option without that state or third party intervention, be it there is no company or state involved in that transaction. Yeah, and you mentioned, yeah, there's a couple of interesting recent examples. What what, what you think of the individuals is, 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 is an aside, but, uh, you know, Nigel Farage, yep. Lawrence Fox, both had bank accounts shut down in recent weeks. You know, you, you can't do that in Bitcoin. No. I know people, Dan, I was, was watching something yesterday about, you know, some alternative health products. You know, again, PayPal shutting down any sales of a perfectly safe, you know, in my opinion, but, you know, safe, natural product. But we know they're clamping down trying to get that. How do they get people? They debank them. You know, that's the real way. You know, we talked about Operation Choke Point and Choke Point 2.0. That is a power source of debanking people by them, you know, leaning on all these payment providers that you cannot, they cannot do business. They can all accept digital assets, Bitcoin, you know, other, other, you know, and other digital assets. So that is really important. And that is happening across the world today that without that, without that um, possibility within this digital space, a lot of people wouldn't have been able to transact with clients across the world who are looking to get either incredible education info or even alternative health products things they really need and again we are looking at a bigger economy across the world rather than local and again if we want to go completely no digital no internet whatever then we are back looking at okay completely sourcing locally and that's a whole nother philosophical debate but within the world we are today we can see positive use cases you know off off the charts in the last in this last uh, you know few years that's happening yeah, we have to be careful about how many times we talk about the lights going out because I don't know if you noticed my lights went out during a few minutes ago. <laughs> well, last time, Dan, yeah, it was last you last episode, time. Yeah, last time we were we were riffing on that whole subject of what the internet, the internet goes down. Going down yeah. Um, yeah, somebody in my house did pull the plug unwittingly, and it went. Down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, but lights, again, and I, it I, came I, back on. Yeah, I had problems with my lights. So if you notice what what suddenly happened, my lights went out, and I, uh, I've got a backup power for them, but I've had some problems. So you might see me reaching off screen in a minute to fix this. Another. From our live broadcast, <laughs> just can't, can't control for these things. Um, but, but speaking of control, um, again, you know, cash as an asset. So recapping, it's 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 centralized in its issuance. It's central. It's issued by the central bank, manipulated by central governments. Yet it's decentralized in its usage. Mm. You know, so 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 once you have it, which which is what what makes it quite interesting. Because it's not purely centralized, it's decentralized in its use case. Whereas Bitcoin is decentralized in its issuance and it's dis- decentralized in its usage. And that, that distinction is important. And of course, we know that governments can manipulate the value of cash, as we've talked about, whether it's monetary pos- policy or, you know, the various different, uh, uh, you know, uh, issuing new, 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 new notes, issuing new cash, um, uh, monetary policy, the various different tools that the government can uh, artificially manipulate the value of money but that's not limited to cash you know they government action can also intervene with stocks and uh, commodities and other forms of investment so it's, again it's not exclusive to cash yeah so but if you look at cash's you know i mean not cash's fiat currencies track record and history it's not that's why people often like we talked about assets down people are scared by volatility of assets and always do this shape you know because it's oh my god the ups downs and whatever but then show them a fiat currency chart and many people have never seen that. Show them a fiat currency against another asset because everything has to be valued against something else. And then you'll then you'll you may change your view on sitting in fiat currency as a store of wealth. Again, we talk always talk about this this, this um, distinction. Transaction pretty great store of wealth as an asset. Just look at its track record. And actually, people sometimes feel they're in this chart. Dan always do this, you know, feel like it's going straight across. Don't realize they're in the chart that's only going down. So they're scared by that volatility. Often there's a lot of growth in those, you know, volatile assets that are on a growth curve. And actually the other one is on a complete diminishing curve with no upside. You know, so being aware of that can just try and get you a better relationship with these different assets. So you're you're clear about what they are and what they, you know, what they're not and what, what purpose they serve and where they're not so strong. And until you've weighed all those up different aspects, I think it's it's oversimplified to just say that's the one for me versus that. It's, yeah. it's, you know, and there are how there are whys that might be preferable to you for some reason, or that might be, but until you've got all the info, it's it's hard to make that decision. Yeah, and I've I've also heard some really interesting descriptions that the fiat, the fiat system itself is legalized corruption. 
you know, it's it's legalizing the ability for central banks yeah. to and giving the authority to create money without inherent value or backing. It's theft, yeah. It, it, so, you know, this creates an unfair advantage for governments and central institutions, financial institutions in particular, who can benefit from this process, uh, the, you know, and the profits derived from those activities, whereas the individual doesn't have that possibility. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 tricky because a lot of the people who are very um, in favor of preserving cash do so because of the privacy elements we've touched upon. But at the same time, the same people want to escape government control and influence. Yeah. So it's, it's a really tricky balance because yeah. on one hand, you're preserving the thing that gives you privacy. But on the other hand, you're also propping up the fiat money system, which is ultimately the most centralized uh, problem, you know, centralized power structure that we're up against. Yeah, which is why I say it's, you know, self-cutting your own cash is king of the fiat system but you know it's not further than that you know that that's the point within that fiat system but the the issues are the fiat system right that's that's the problem you know again if it like we all said if it was cash backed by real tangible assets then great but it isn't um, and like you said it's being absolutely printed away at incredible rate and you know yeah a lot of people argue at a simple level it's it's theft because as i said from the candle effect you know if you control the money printers in inverted commas because most of it's not actually being printed on notes it's being just written onto screens yeah. and you're able then to spend that on real world assets then they literally have picked that for free and i said to you by the time that that increased money supply has filtered down to the man on the street they have been robbed of value of purchasing power so you know that is baked into the system which is why you know I always go back to it understanding what happened you know with the world reserve currency the dollar in 70 you know 172 coming of the gold standard is really important and and that's where getting educated about what's gone on is is helpful helpful when you're thinking about how you're going to navigate forward from here because we have an extra element here now which is we're not just holding cash now we're holding cash potentially towards a financial research of some sort and i'll let's give the example like if you were holding a you know all your money in cash and that's where your wealth was well at some point you know whether we like it or not, they may start to phase out cash and it may take a long time to run me overnight because they do want to preserve for people and they have to do that. But at a certain point, if you want your value one-to-one, -one, then it may be, well, you need to come through our system and bank it all to cash it in. So again, I think that's the point that Europe, Europe cash is an asset that can change overnight in terms of its legislation. You know, we, that's, that's what I always talk about as we're coming through a currency reset of some sort, assets that just are not central cold, they are as they are, they bypass that and go around it. I almost view that as a, as a thin gate. Now, no one knows how it's going to play out, but always, you know, give the example that, you know, a tin of chickpeas today is a tin of chickpeas tomorrow, some gold today is some gold tomorrow. You know, a note that's centrally issued and is, you know, deemed legal tender by the powers that be, it can have its status changed by tomorrow, Dan. And that's the big difference, isn't it? And I think in terms of assets or in terms of something you're going to transact in in the short term. Yeah, and interesting enough, I saw a report yesterday that said that uh, the UK is the only country amongst the group of seven most wealthy nations where inflation is still rising. So there's real evidence that your cash is purchasing power and its value is decreasing month on month um, under these, this environment. So that, that, that point we've made several times during this about diversification of assets mm. is, is key. Um, but, but drawing on some of the central tenets of the conversation here around the fiat money system and its, its challenges, and I think most people who watch this type of content will be in alignment and in agreement that the fiat money system itself is corrupt and it enables central institutions to have unsweeping powers, mm -hmm. which is something that certainly viewers of our podcast have, have been very concerned about. Um, so whilst, again, we talk about preserving privacy with cash, the question then becomes, what's the alternative? Because immediately people then fear central bank digital currencies, which, again, I share those fears, and I think both of us do. But, but their actual ultimate manifestation, you know, they could actually just end up being a digital copy of what we have now. We speculated that in the last, on the last episode, although in the Brit Pound, um, the Britcoin, as they're calling it, uh, proposal has several nuances that, that offers some warning signs that you need to be aware of um, in terms of its early thinking. But it, it is just early thinking. Uh, and it's, it's highly likely that there'll be some international standard that, that comes in for all central bank digital currencies. Again, that is another concern because it's a globalized pathway. And they, these all, all these uh, signals point in the same direction. And that's, that's, that's a real concern. But 
it's not a binary choice between cash or a central bank digital currency. Of course, there are many other assets, but when we're talking about transactions, we've touched upon Bitcoin, you know, many times during this conversation. Yeah, and, and Bitcoin in its origin, if you read the original white paper, was really to deal a blow to the financial system, to the fiat system that we've been discussing about. It, it, and again, there's all kinds of speculation. We've touched upon that in the previous episode as well, but where it came from, we don't need to go into that again today. Um, but let's take it on its premise that it is here to disrupt the financial system. Let's look at the factors. It's decentralized. You know, it, it almost completely eliminates government intervention. It gives monetary freedom and privacy. Uh, it has resistance to inflation. In fact, it could be dis- described as deflationary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it enables permissionless and trustless transactions. Uh, it, it's within an immutable ledger. Um, or, uh, offers borderless and permissionless transactions. Uh, you know, there are so many advantages to it. But then, of course, there is the flip side, which inevitably comes up next. It's like, yeah, but Dan, what happens when the government ban cryptocurrency and they ban Bitcoin or they regulate it? And of course, that's a major concern. And I floated this idea also, Sam, in several of our conversations, because the point, the fact that Bitcoin could be universally accepted does also pave the way to a central, a decentralized single currency. And even though it's decentralized and it can't be manipulated and controlled by central authorities, I do think there are concerns about having a, a centralized, a, a single digital currency. Um, although that, that, that concern is mitigated somewhat by the fact that it's decentralized. But, but again, as we've talked yeah, about... Yeah, and, and it's not the whims of the monetary policy. It's you know, not the whims the, of the monetary policy. So it's, it's a completely different piece. So, I, yeah, it, it's... And again, these are really hard things to, to, to project forward with, which is why, you know, don't try and project too forward, look at the possibilities, because how that would play out, yeah, it's very unclear, you know, and how, and how the whole shift across the world, how that's going to play out. But, you know, I just want to reiterate, yeah, that a lot of the... You know, I think a lot of people think that people are in Bitcoin just for there's nothing to it and they're gambling on it. And it's good. The reason a lot of people sit in Bitcoin is because of they see the qualities and they see the properties of it. And, you know, a lot, as we talked about, the big boys coming into Bitcoin. I mean, they've always been there at some level, but them coming in is not just to manipulate the market. It's because they know they don't want to sit in fear either. (laughs) So, so, you know, it's it's, they understand. And that's, you know, that's that point. Always go back to 71, 72, where a lot of the clued up people moved out of the dollar and into assets because you know when they came with the gold standard because they realized i'm suddenly going to lose a lot of value here so we actually don't down there are lots of qualities to bitcoin and how it how these pieces of jigsaw fit together going forward is going to be very interesting to see yes but i think the important thing right now you know my biggest concern, yes, okay, I'm concerned about losing cash for all the reasons we've cited, but I'm also concerned that people are turning a blind eye to Bitcoin um, and the digital asset because right now there is an entire counter economy that's emerged from this. And I think this is something that, you know, again, is, is dear to a lot of people. When people are talking about things like barter and localized trade and all those sort of things, it's happening. It's happening both physically on a local level, but it's also happening digitally. It's, yep. you know, there is entire economies emerging outside of the current system using Bitcoin. There's many, many organizations now actually take Bitcoin, local, online, international, uh, and various other cryptocurrencies or or altcoins to be more specific. You know, so it's, it's, it's understanding it that during this unique time in history where the regulatory process is still emerging, there is an active counter economy. And all that means is, you know, yes, it does include black market activity and illegal activities, but in the main state, in the main state, it's actually day-to-day transactions that are occurring. In yeah. fact, our community, the Elevate community, there is a function now that I can enable payments by Ethereum-based tokens. You know, so I, I could I could technically take payment in ETH or, or various uh, um, uh, altcoins that, that are created using ETH standards. Yep. You know, so it's it's amazing. It's amazing that we can transact now. So we do have a means of transaction as well as a store of value. Well, exactly, Dan. So it's giving us more tools within that digital framework. And again, if you're completely want to assume all digitization, then that is a different path. And it, but it's almost like within, if you, we always have an example, if you're going to assume technology, you know, all power to you, and that's your path. And then that doesn't involve digital assets. But if you are still involved in, um, you know, dealing across the world, different people and want to do commerce and, and being digital, then this is a decentralized tool within it rather than being stuck. I always say, I don't want to be stuck just in their centralized tools. 
how that's going to play out, how you're going to, is, is, you've got more options. That's the point, isn't it? I think that's, that's what's really important is giving yourself more options. The more options you've got and the more tools you've got, the better prepared you are in, in changing times to, to, to pivot when, you, when needed be and have, have ways of, you know, have ways of transacting outside of that main, you know, most centralized system. Yeah, and which, as, like you said, which we're seeing. Happening. Yes, and as and as you've talked about, is that you know it removes all those intermediaries. Yeah. Yep. So so all the costs of transaction, all the fees, and it's a, you know moving out of the sluggish systems where you'd literally sometimes wait days for payments to arrive. Now 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 you've literally got an almost instantaneous payment structure yep. that, that removes all those intermediaries that, that you that can it, verify you don't have you don't have, again trustless you know it, that's the part of the, the the blockchain that's so great and that there's no i have to check that you've got it we both know it's happened it's all verified so yeah it's a very it's a very safe way of, of sending assets you know sending sending payment and you know because no one knows how it's going to play out because i don't know how the whole world's going to play out that doesn't stop me diversifying learning more tools ready for different scenarios i think that's the point i think that's where the what ifs get paralyzing. And, you know, China banned Bitcoin about seven times in its history. You know, nothing's changed, essentially. So I always get an example. Well, you know, they banned breathing fresh air and banned, you know, hugging, hugging your family. Well, it still went on, you know, and, and you know, you, you, so again, that idea that it's not going to take different action based on what they might do. Well, then that's completely a paralyzing setup, isn't it, Dan? Because they well, can certainly. legislate whatever they want and they're going to try to. It's whether we listen and how we behave. They want us to be the most easily manageable as possible. They want to, you know, you to be easily. It's almost like in a financial reset or any kind of it. They want they want you to be to walk into their worlds and and not to be a challenge or, you know, they want to almost from a financial reset point of view. They want to go after low lying fruit. If they want to, you know, come for your assets, well, they're going to come for the most centralized assets that they control in their hands. If you really have been proactive, whatever, then there's not much you can do about that. You know, that that's what I always think is how there is no panacea simple answer, but how how more how much more difficult a customer are you going to be for the tricksters? You know? Absolutely. And uh, Karen in the comments, and this is benefit going live as so we can uh, bring up some of the conversations. So Karen said mass adoption of crypto needs to happen. Hopefully more and more people will start learning about crypto and accept as a means of exchange. And I think this this point in particular is really important because the reality is it is actually part of the resistance because, you know, with the big players coming into the market, um, you know, we've got 10 plus years of, of an over a trillion dollars worth of assets accumulated by retail investors, i.e. people like you and I. Um, so it means that the power, the power at the moment is in the hands of the people. Uh, the moment that the central institutions start buying it up at scale and, and creating market moves that, create enough fear in the market that people just start selling off their digital assets all of a sudden the power balance shifts so the reality is in a way holding the bit holding a bitcoin is 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 one of the greatest acts of protest right now because what it means is that more and more people hold the power because ultimately governments serve the people and not the other way around it may we may they may forget that and we may forget that mm -hmm. sometimes but the reality is if each one of us has holdings in bitcoin then we have a lot more power over the over the way that governments decide on our behalf absolutely and doing it in the sovereign way then because what i can see is is their plan is to get they know this will get become you know part of the mainstream world be mass adopted but not in the iteration that is sovereign so that's what we're seeing shift aren't we down that you know doing crypto properly to a bitcoin is taking your own self-custody so you're in control of it the mass adoption level will be you know, institute third party institutions holding people's crypto, which is the complete antithesis, because, again, you're back into the third party censorship issue. You're into the fact that your assets can be seized, your transaction be blocked. You can't withdraw it. So I think that's, you know, that's the world they're building. And they, they're doing an endlessly, you know, um, kind of hatchet job on scaring as many retail investors out of this market as they can, whilst they're quietly accumulating assets. And they'll build new systems that the later crowd come in who aren't early adopters or pioneers will have exposure to this new asset class, but in a completely centralized manner. And that's what we're seeing with the launch of these, um, you know, exchange traded funds on Bitcoin that have been mooted down, for, you know, by the big players is that actually all their investors come in, they feel like they hold Bitcoin, but of course it's just in a fund held by a centrally you know, central authority that, you know, you could be turned on and off because, you know, if you, you're, you don't actually control or hold your assets. So, 
I think that's the way they view controlling mass adoption and exposure to this market, which is the antithesis of what we're talking about, which is self-custody, getting on your own means, on your own grounds. And that takes more effort, more learning. But I think that's really important to do. And, and you know, that's that's what they don't want the majority of people to do. And they want people to be corralled, but, you know, by the narratives then, by the overall fear and, you know, rather than people getting grounded education and understanding how to do it properly themselves and getting in now. And we see the other aspect is they're going to open these new doors in a centralized manner whilst they're trying to close down the more sovereign way, you know, closing down the, the, the kind of what I call the on-ramps, getting your fiat currency into crypto yourself. Personally, it's going to get harder and we're seeing that play out. Whereas coming through their brokers or coming through purchase will get easier. So again, that's the way they're they're trying to play this play this game, and you know, and I think that's what we're seeing, and that's what we discuss in this podcast. That's their roadmap we're watching week by week, aren't we, Dan? Yeah, we have to play our part in in countering that. And I think, you know, we we opened up today's conversation asking, "Is cash really king?" Tune in to find out. Well, hopefully, having listened, the answer is not simple. And with many of these discussions, you're absolutely right. As you opened up, Sam, is that we need to understand the nuances of this conversation. Yeah. So. On a personal note, absolutely, I want to preserve cash for those yep. privacy factors. But I'm also very open to things like Bitcoin and, and all different forms of cryptocurrencies as a means of disrupting the current system and also resisting the current system. But I think the bigger picture for me is to understand, actually, how do we shift the culture? Because the, the, the culture of surveillance, the, the culture of centralization and control is not limited to cash or Bitcoin or the financial system, it's a much bigger problem, uh, and one that we won't be able to solve in the remaining minutes that we have on today's podcast. People always ask, what's the solution, Dan? <laughs> what are we going to do? Um, well, the first thing we can do is get educated, which is why um, we created the Navigate the Digital Assets program. So for those of you who are keen to learn more, we're here live every single week, not live necessarily, but we're here every week on the Uncharted Territory podcast. But we created a, a three-part course where we walk through a lot of things we talked about today, including the detachment from the gold standard in, in the first module. We talk about you know that the ground level understanding of how the monetary system works and 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 the basics, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the digital world of digital assets and blockchain, so that you can at least be informed. Because even if you choose not to hold Bitcoin or any other form of digital asset, it's better to understand what is happening. Yeah with a nuanced and holistic view on it rather than just simply shutting down because someone posted a comment in, in, in a chat room saying we've got to preserve cash and that blocks your ability to then go on and look at, um, to look at digital assets. So yeah, you, you can know, preserve cash and diversify. Exactly. Exactly. It's you can preserve cash or. and learn more about other, other, other options yeah. because the reality is central bank digital currencies in the way that they're being proposed, we've got to resist. But there is another way, and I think that's important now to realize that that way has already been built, but it could easily be taken away if not enough people understand it mm. uh, or hold it. So, and we always said, Dan, that people that don't never want people to fully understand what's going on, or the or the pros and cons of everything. That's that's a huge control mechanism in itself, isn't it? Is a none of us were, you know, I certainly wasn't brought up getting good financial education at school, you know, and going on, and so they want us not to understand. That's the same with this whole shift and and what's you know the underlying take of bitcoin and what's possible and so that that is a control mechanism itself isn't it not not having clarity people not not knowing the different options and not even understanding the options they're in already you know because we weren't educated so that whole road of understanding the current monetary system the alternatives the, the different options is a road to getting more empowered and improving your situation and like you said dan it's 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 step by step you don't need to jump into crypto or jump into this or that. You need, you know, you just need to improve where you're at. And that, that in its sense, will gives you more options and gives you more. Yeah, it's just a great understanding of what's going on. And I know the more you understand it, that's where the empowerment comes from. Absolutely. So there's lots of ways you can get empowered and, and aware of these types of conversations. We're here every single week on the Uncharted Territory podcast exploring these issues. If you like our way of di dissecting what's happening in the world and you'd like to learn more, then Sam and I launched the digital asset, the Navigating Digital Assets program uh, last year. Over 400 people now have taken that course to learn. Uh, in fact, over 500 now have learned uh, the very basics and fundamentals of, the, of this new emerging world of digital assets, as well as all the ecosystem and tools that you need to enter in, into that market. Uh, if you'd like to find out more about that, you can go to weareelevate.org forward slash digital assets. You know, both of us have got a 
a long history uh, of looking at these types of things in this type of way. So if you like our style and you'd like to learn from us, that's one way you can do that. Um, but please do share uh, this conversation. So we're recording this live right now, uh, but it'll be broadcast on all of our major channels, YouTube, uh, Rumble and Odyssey. We're launching very soon. You can also find us on Apple, Spotify and every major audio platform. So Sam, as always, a brilliant conversation. And next up, we've got a, a conversation about Bitcoin explicitly. We're, we're interviewing Jordan Walker from the Bitcoin Collective, who recently hosted Europe's largest Bitcoin conference. I'm really excited to meeting uh, Jordan for the next episode. Totally. Here. I think it's going to be great to get an ethos and somebody who's been immersed in the kind of, you know, the real core Bitcoin movement. I think that's really going to be really helpful for people to get a, a bigger understanding of, of the qualities and the ethos behind Bitcoin and, and what's possible in the possible future roadmap. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Excellent. So look us up on YouTube, uh, on, on Apple, Spotify, subscribe on your favorite platform and look out for the latest episode of the Uncharted Territory podcast. My name is Dallas and Gregory. I've been here today. My co-host, co-host Sam X. Thanks very much for tuning in and we'll see you again on the next episode of the Uncharted Territory podcast.